Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Why don't we lift up our hands and just praise the Lord and thank him for his goodness. Let him hear your voice rising up to his ear. Just praise him for a moment. Thank him for his goodness, his grace, his patience, loving kindness, the strength that we get from him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We worship you. We adore you, dear Lord. We thank you for your presence in this place. Worthy you are, worthy you are, worthy you are, worthy you are. What a mighty God we serve. Praise God. Amen. Let's put our hands together. Give the Lord a clap offering of praise. Amen and amen and amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated in your place. Truly the presence of the Lord is here, and it really works. Praises moves heaven. God tabernacles himself in the praises of his people. I don't know if you had an opportunity to thank God for this to be alive. Any day is a good day to be alive. God is good. <laughs> Hallelujah. And good to see you worshiping here today with us and those on the other side of the camera, that God may bless you, bless you, bless you. And church, I don't know if you've been keeping up with some of the reporting, but the news is starting to look promising. It really is. It's starting to look promising. Hallelujah. COVID is not over yet, but it's starting to look pro I'll take promising. I'll take promising. The numbers uh, are looking more attractive than they did before. And that really is a result of uh, a few things. One is that people are listening and using their masks and washing their hands and keeping distances. Uh, we're listening more to scientists than anything else. Um, and uh, we're being careful to, uh, you know, not go to places where there are a whole bunch of people crowded that aren't following guidelines. Uh, and I want to stop there for a moment and thank you for being so patient it's going to be a year pretty soon now in March that we've been in this kind of COVID craziness. But I want to thank you for being patient with us as you come into the sanctuary. And I know it has not been the most comfortable way, but it's the safest way that we have found. So thank you so much. But in the middle of doing all those things, I would be remiss if I also did not thank a praying church. A praying church. <laughs> You can take all the medication you want. I know some people have gone the, the vaccine route. Amen. Some are waiting. Amen to you. Call it when you're ready. Uh, and they might point to all those things as the reason why. More testing and vaccination and all that. But let us not forget that God lists. Prayer works. Prayer works. Prayer works. Prayer works. Keep interceding over your home and your family. Cover them with a hedge of protection. Keep praying over the church. I, I get encouraged that Thursday, 6 o'clock prayer that the Spanish women do in this church. And then the other pockets of prayer, I'm encouraged by the 21 days of praying and fasting that we did in January. And the, and the times that you take prayer works. Let's not become so sophisticated or sophisticated. Sophisticated. <laughs> prayer works. Prayer works. Make sure you intercede before the Lord. And we're seeing the numbers uh, start to turn around, and, uh, and there's a bleak of uh, a light on the other, at the other side of the tunnel. The danger is that we can become complacent, so I'm not here to announce that we're going to stop 
the process that we have here. I'm not here to announce that we're going to add more chairs. I'm not going to announce that now you can come up here and worship. No, hold on. We're going to continue following um, what we've been doing all along. And, but it, ser- it, it really stirs a, a, you know, a, a lot of expectation now for me. I don't know if for you I can foresee uh, before the year is out that um, we'll be worshiping the way we used to worship and, and greeting each other the way we used to, but always being careful. And we have to always realize that there are consequences uh, to decisions that we make. And if we decide to live recklessly, we have to be prepared for the consequences that come. If we want to ignore certain signs and certain information, then we have to be um, prepared for the consequences that may come this way. Um, In my preaching today, I want to talk about uh, it's time to come home. Let's listen to what the Lord is saying, and it's time to come home. But we need to realize that the decisions that we make have ramifications. And sometimes we wait for the last moment to start to get things better. The doctor all of a sudden tells us that our cholesterol level is high, our blood pressure is through the roof, and right away we want to say, oh, no, no, I'll start eating better now. It takes years and decades of eating too much salt that gets you to a point that you can't just have a weekend fast and make it all go back to neutral. You can eat all the vegetables you want that weekend, but when you go back to get the blood test, it's going to be... The earlier service said hallelujah to that. I don't know if you're going (laughs) to... Sometimes we don't realize the ramifications of the decisions that we make. And before long, what happens is a new normal is established. And we are now falling into this this groove or this rut, in many cases, that it leads to even more destructive behavior. Studies have been telling us now that because people have been uh, sequestered for so long, and it's going to be 12 months now, and for some even longer, that some people are getting used to to uh, this new environment that they're in. And uh, they're going to have to relearn how to be social again and reintegrate. Um, um, and, and, and I think in the inner city and in particularly in the multicultural congregation that we have, reintegrating our socialization is not going to be that difficult for us. I don't know about you, but I miss hugging and I miss greeting people and, and, and going beyond. I mean, I've become a master in being able to identify eyes now when it comes to who they are. Because, <laughs> you know, I can't tell anymore. Uh, but we'll, we'll get back to the way it was before. But it, they're telling us that because of this sequence that we're in, that people are going to almost declare that to be the new, nor- the, the, the new normal. Uh, further studies have shown that congregations and pastors need to be prepared because some folks will not, some folk will not come back. Uh, they'll find uh, that their home is okay and that uh, Ustream is excellent and that it works for them and they're fine. I'm here to tell you today's sermon is it's time to come home. It's time to uh, say goodbye to the way it was and the way it's been going and realize that there is an important significance in the gathering together of brothers and sisters in the Lord. There's something about fellowship that speaks louder than a 4D or 5D, whatever it is. I forget what it is now, the numbers that they have for televisions. I'm probably saying it all wrong. High-resolution stuff, right? Uh, And we need to start getting ready. The, The complacency that we might have been falling into and we don't realize because every decision we make has consequences 
and their results from every decision you make. And in fact, I want to spend some time with you in a familiar passage of Scripture. And it's that, that, that story of the son that went and told dad, give me my inheritance. Luke chapter 15. Give me, in fact, let me read you the saddest turn of events in three verses. The way something goes from excellent to horrible simply because of a bad decision. And Jesus was teaching, and Jesus was sharing, and he goes on and he says, um, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate, in other words, my inheritance. So he divided his property between them, the two sons. Verse 15, 13, I'm sorry, says, Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. He went from a, huge, a hugely favored life, privileged life, to all of a sudden, because of a poor decision in a few verses, going to the other side of living. In fact, it was so bad that his companions went from being the servants of his father's home to now the company that he had in this part of the story are the pigs that he was living with. And I mean pigs, animals, swine. It went that far. But I want you to understand that by this young man going and asking his father for the inheritance, it was not just that he was saying, give me what is mine. But during that time, to go to Papa and tell him, give me my inheritance while Papa was still alive, you were basically telling the old man, drop dead, I'm leaving. We sometimes don't realize that. This was a huge insult to this father in this parable as he's hearing his dad. But you notice in the, in the verses here, in the narrative, that the father doesn't throw that in his face. The father even doesn't go down to try and convince him because we can almost conclude that this was not the first time that the younger son was crazy. He had been crazy before. And even lo loving fathers and mothers can become, and let me leave it there. You want your inheritance? Take your inheritance. It doesn't say that there was a back and forth. The father gave him and he went and squandered what he had gained. And now, this is important. There's some interesting things in Scripture that I don't, I don't like to overlook. I, I like to slow down when I'm reading and studying and, and then teaching and preaching because notice in the text, he got what he wanted, a very bad decision, and I guess it was embarrassing for him to do what he was planning on doing in front of his father. So the text tells us that he, went, he goes to a foreign land away from where his father can, can see him do his craziness and squandered everything that he had. So you could see that he was already malintending for his future, being irresponsible in his future, and obviously not weighing the decision that he had made. And he went on and squandered everything. In the story, it continues to say that when he came to his senses, he was now, let me get back to the reading that I was doing. He says, so he went and hired himself out to the citizen of that country who sent him his, to the field to feed pigs. Here he is, an heir. Had everything he wanted. 
and saying publicly, I'm not going to represent the United Kingdom anymore. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm not going to, no longer going to be part of that. I'm going to go on my own. And squandered everything that he had. And he went and he became a hireling now to take care of pigs. 16. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. See, because the grass always looks greener on the other side. He looks handsomer on the other side. She looks prettier on the other side. The story looks so fairy tale and wonderful when you're peering it from a place of privilege and of blessing to a place of want. You don't know. And sometimes we jump because simply we are blinded for the moment. We would excuse it away or rationalize it. Or simply because we didn't weigh what was going on. It says that when he found himself in that condition, and let me start right now. Enough with the intro. It says that when he came to his senses. Sometimes we have to lose what we have in order for God's big chancleta, that chancleta is a slipper, to smack up upside the head so that we can wake up. Sometimes we can't appreciate what we had until we don't have it any longer. Sometimes we don't uh, get to appreciate and value the blessings and provision of God when we're getting that provision until we're far away from it, having squandered the inheritance that we have. He came to his senses. And part of this preaching today is to get some of you here and those on the other side to come to your senses, to realize the losses, to realize the impact of what your decisions have brought to you, and to really celebrate and appreciate the things that God has already provided for you. And I know it's been a tough year, difficult. Every time somebody coughs or sneezes right away, we think it's the worst thing in the world, right? Right? But God has kept us healthy and well. God has kept you in sound mind. Sickness has not visited your home. It's come close, but it has not. You're still uh, functioning and working. And oftentimes we make irrational decisions in the moment, and there needs to come a situation where we get slapped upside the head to come to our senses. Trials do that to us. Trials and tribulations do that to us. They wake us up for the reality of what we had in God. We, we, we tend to not appreciate the things that God has provided for us when we are far away doing things until we are far away. And then that's when all of a sudden the light bulb goes up on in our head. I, I want to submit to you that it's time to come home. It's time to let the Lord speak into your heart and realize that it, it, we have to start making preparations, church, for the reconvening of our church and our ministry. There's a reason why this church, and I want to speak specifically. I know that those uh, watching me on camera may not be necessarily for our, our ministry here. But for us specifically, God has placed us to be a light, to be salt, to be an example, to be a model of a house of faith. A house that allows people to come in tattered and broken and injured and, 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 and messed up. And this church has had a reputation, and I hope we'll continue to have one, where we receive people right where they are. Rather than judge, rather than lay more on them, we say, let me help you carry your burden. Is there a praise in the house today for that? 
People will come to their senses knocking on our door and we need to do as the Father did here in this story and that is celebrate their arrival. Because there is always a path back home. Look at what he says. When he came to his senses, now he said to himself, he was talking to himself. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Remember, he was eating the pig's food. How many of my father's servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. It says in the text that no one would even give him food. No one would give him anything. I will set out and go back to my father to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Let me, let me pause and make some, some uh, observations here. He was talking to himself. He realized at that moment with regret, had I stayed, I would have been all right. He was realizing at that moment, I know that there is food and shelter and a roof uh, over my head in my father's house. He was realizing at that moment of despair that what he had left behind. And again, we have to sometimes stop for a moment and even speak to ourselves and let the Lord speak to us through ourselves of the blessings that we were able to enjoy, the things that we have had in God, the provision and protection that God has provided for us. And then realize, as he did, because he realized in this statement, he realized that he had sinned. And I, and I want you to realize this, this as well as I look at, at this second part of, of verse 18. Because he says, I will go back to my father's house and I will say to him, there's always a route, back to, a route back home. He says, I will say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Remember what I told you, that in asking for the inheritance, he was actually, actually telling his dad to drop dead. The sin appeared to have been a sin, a familial sin, a sin against family, against culture at that time. What we sometimes don't realize is that our, our decisions cause collateral damage. People around us, innocent victims, all of a sudden, or innocent persons become victims to our poor decision-making. Hallelujah. We don't realize that, and sometimes we, and, and he said it clearly here, I sinned against you, true, but I sinned against heaven. He realized that there needed to be a moment of a pleading for forgiveness for God, from God, but also from his Father as well. And please, please stop for a moment. When we make decisions, and I'm going to give you a few examples, when we make decisions, not only will it affect us personally, but it will affect the lives of others as well. And we need to be considerate of that. When you think about divorce, for example, and we understand there's some situations where we have to be very compassionate when it comes to people. Uh, if you're in an abusive situation, if, and others, when I'm, I'm not going to get to unpack all of that, but when a divorce happens, for whatever reason it happens, we have to realize that no matter how smooth the divorce might be, they're going to be, if there are children involved, they're going to be marked for the rest of their life. Innocent victims to a poor decision. And maybe the poor decision was not divorce. Maybe the poor decision is you should have not got married the first time. Poor decisions will affect. And all of a sudden you have children that grow up and, and, and look at me carefully because I've been around the block a couple of times already. Done a lot of counseling in this area. And I've sat with adult men and women already grown that are still injured by what took place when they were six, seven, eight years old when they saw their mommy and daddy's marriage fall apart. 
We have to realize that decisions have ramifications and innocent get caught in the storm. If you look at sickness and you're careless in the way you take care of your body and you don't eat right and all of a sudden you have all these sicknesses that could have been managed early on. It's got quiet in here. I'm being very practical on this, this one especially. We could have been, you know, you don't have to put salt on everything. You can live without bacon. <laughs> Who isn't tempted with bacon? But when you think about eating, and he ate probably ate bacon because he was trying to eat some of the, 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 the stuff. When you think about eating and messing, clogging up your arteries, and now you're bedridden. And now you're suffering the consequences of uh, in, in your body, you ravaged, you, you destroyed your, 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 your liver from functioning correctly because of all the sweets that we've eaten and all the, the horrible diets that we have, processed meats and all of that stuff. And I'm not here to give you a diet. I'm not here to give you a guilt, guilt trip. I'm just letting you know that our decisions have consequences. Now all of a sudden you can't control your bowel movements and your poor loving family has to go and sweep up after you, suffering the consequences. You want to smoke, you want to abuse. I just read a crazy article yesterday, you probably saw it, of a professor that he, he uses heroin to make him become more social. He has recreational heroin. I never heard of that until yesterday I read it in the paper. Are you kidding me? This is a PhD tenured professor. And he, that's what he does. He, he shoots up heroin every once in a while to be socially acceptable. If you need heroin to make you socially acceptable, you really need Jesus. You, let me tell this side, because this side didn't react. <laughs> you really need Jesus. Huh? They suffer the consequences. Family members have to end up suffering the consequences for, for you. If you don't know how to manage your temper, let me look down. You don't know how to manage your temper. And every, you have a job every six months because you have a short fuse. They know that I have the, I'm this way. You can relearn behavior. Come on now. Jesus can heal sicknesses, but he can, also, he can also recalibrate your temperament. He said, I get mad. That just triggers me. At least you know what's triggering you. Now work at stopping that trigger from triggering you. It's because when I get mad, don't get mad. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. Let the Holy Spirit transform you. You got a lousy attitude. Let him change that. And then you go from job. I, it's getting hot in here now. I see some of you taking, getting ready to take handkerchiefs out. Job to job to job to job to job. Who suffers the consequences? Your family. Your family. So decisions have consequences. And in this passage, in that portion of the passage, we can see that he had sinned against the father, had sinned against his mother, and later on, I'm not going to touch it in this preaching, even, his older, even the other brother suffered the consequences of him saying, give me my inheritance. We don't realize sometimes that the things that we do, the decisions that we make, the yeses and no's that we, we think is just me, I'll do it my way. No, the things that you decide will affect many, many people. They have collateral damage all the way around. And we need to be careful. 
He says, I will, I will go back to my father's house. I will tell him. Now he's talking to himself. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hirelings. Sure, when, when once you've lost everything and you insulted dad and you insulted the whole situation, you've offended God. Sure, now humility comes in because, you know, trials have a way of humbling us. They really do. When you no longer have that title, that promotion is no longer there, that big office is no longer there. It has a way of humbling you. And he says in verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hiring servants. And then he says in 20, so he got up and went to his father. Now note the text. He says he got up. It doesn't say that the pigs helped him get up. It doesn't say that the people in that foreign land that hired him to take care of the pigs helped him to get up. Here's the application. Sometimes you just got to be so tired of being tired that you don't need somebody to come encourage you. You just got to get yourself up and get going. Is this too much for some of you? Because we're waiting. Oh, no, no. I'm waiting until they start gathering again. No, no, no. You got to get up today. I'm, I'm waiting until COVID is over. No, no, no. You got to get up today. I'm waiting until somebody sends me a card. No, no, no. You got to get up today. I'm waiting for somebody to call me to give me a word of encouragement. You, you need to get. I'm waiting until it stops snowing. You got to get up today. I'm waiting until it gets hotter. You got to get up today. I'm waiting until they go to evening service. I'm getting up. I'm waiting until they get the pews back. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. You wait and never get things done. You know what happens to a car that's waiting at the intersection and the light turns green and he doesn't move? If he doesn't move, he's going to get run over by the people that are behind him. You got to get going. Sometimes we got to get ourselves up. We're living in this era of dependency that becomes codependency as well. That unless somebody nudges me, I don't move. I believe that just as salvation and a relationship with God is an individual journey, you're responsible for your life. Listen to me. You are responsible for your life. You need to make the, you have in embryo form, you have already the seeds of potentiality inside of you. What you do is dependent upon you. Well, if somebody encouraged me, what about if nobody encourages you? Well, if somebody gives me a word, what if nobody gives you another word? In fact, you want a word, you're getting a word right now. Get up. Get up and get moving. We're, we're, living, we're living in a gimme, 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 gimme society. We're living in a, we're actually functioning in a gimme, gimme, gimme church. I want the, church, I want the, the, the service to meet my needs. Forget, that's not what service is about. It's about giving him glory in the good times and in the bad times. Honoring God when my life is together and when it's not together, it's time. It's not about me. Is there an amen in the house? On the other side of the camera, I can't hear you, but can you say amen? I mean, okay, okay, good. Because they're not saying anything in here. We need to realize, and I love it here when he says, he got himself up. You need to get yourself up. You say, well, I'm going to go to church, but I want my whole family to go. Even if your whole family is, you go. You go. Get yourself and go. I'm waiting for it to stop raining. It's okay. Rain won't kill you. I don't want to slip on the snow. We're going to shovel the sidewalk. We'll give you a little bit of salt that you can carry on yourself and then salt the side. Get to, get to church. Get to church. You've got to be self-motivated. Can I, can I, I'm going to stay on this one for a moment until I, I self-motivate. You've got to get yourself self No, I'm waiting because I, I'm, always, I'm always sad on Mondays. I'm always sad on Sunday. You already know when you're going to be sad. Make believe it's not Monday. Make believe it's, it's payday every day. Trick your mind. Hallelujah. We, we already know when we're going to have a bad time. No, watch it. because Every time I go there, I get an attitude. 
They don't go there anymore. You can't get an attitude here. Come here. You say, I need God. You, you, need, you need to come in. We're here on Sundays, and pretty soon, and in the next few months, as things continue, we'll start working, planning, and getting everything to, so that we can congregate once again. Hallelujah. You're following me. You, 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 you can't have somebody do the job interview for you. you got to do it. You can't have somebody, uh, and if you do it, 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 God be with you, take the test for you. you got to take the test. You gotta self-initialize, self-actualize. I don't know what other words to find. To tell you've got to get up in the morning and say, "This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it." Hallelujah! You wake up in the morning not feeling well. This is not the day to pack it up. You got stuff to do. Do it. Carry your load. If everybody carried their load, we would have a, a wonderful time of doing ministry. There has to come a moment where you stop being the one being served and then you serve others. Something happens. Say hallelujah if you can. Praise the Lord. It's time to come home, but in order to come home, you got to get up. You got to get yourself up. And notice in the text that he gets up not in the palace, he gets up in the trough, the place where the pigs were. Sometimes in the trial is when you need to get yourself back up. And get moving. And when, when people have stabbed you and, and wronged you, have hurt you, and, and life, you're at the pitch, you're at the lowest part. You're waiting for something to happen. Get up. You know what happens? Because if he doesn't get up and he stays in the pig, he's going to look like a pig. He's going to smell like a pig. He's going to taste like a pig. He's going to be overlooked like a pig. But if he gets himself up, pigs don't get up. Pig, 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 uh, pigs don't walk on their back legs. And so you got to stop acting like a pig and being like a pig and, and habitating like a pig and start walking like the child of God that you really are. Come on, say hallelujah if you can. Hallelujah. See, we're royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're co-heirs with Christ Jesus. We're, we're special people. We've got to rise from the situation that we're in. It says he got up and went to the Father because that's the other thing. You just don't get up to get up. There needs to be a destination for you. And in this case, he needed to go back to where he was before because he left wrong. And he says, so he got up and went to the Father, but while he was still a long way off, and this is probably one of the most beautiful literary pictures that you can find in Scripture. These few verses here, I mean, for me, I have like a, a selection of verses that really are so beautifully graphic. And in English, it's beautiful, but, you know, it's just a, it's beautiful. He says, so he got up and went to the Father while he, was still on, uh, 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 while he was still a long way off. His Father saw him. Ooh. The Father was only interested in the intent of his Son. If we keep on reading, let's keep on reading that for, for the sake of this moment. He says, the Father saw him and was filled with compassion. Note the text, the Father didn't go, you wished me dead. You took the inheritance, and I heard it through the grapevine that you were with the pigs, and now you come back? Speak to the hand. <laughs> he didn't say any of that. When the father saw, and now remember, he's coming back looking like a pig, smelling like a pig, wanting to eat pig, pig, pig food. He was totally out of it. when he, he, He's not coming back the way he left. But he's coming back. See, God is not interested in how you just how you come back. Just come back. Just come back. 
Just get yourself inside. I love it. I love it. I love it. It doesn't matter how you left. God doesn't throw it at your face. I gave you this. I gave you that. I gave you whatever. God just accepts that you're making, you've got yourself up. You've self-initialized to come back. Just get in. Just come home. And, you, and the, the enemy plays havoc with people's mind. Right away they start thinking of, you know, what are they going to say? Who cares what people say? We say it all the time, but practice it. At the end of the day, God is just watching the motives of your heart. If you live a life by what people say, you will live a very frustrated life. You've got to examine your heart and make sure your motives are right. You notice in the text, he's not saying, I didn't do it. He says, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. So he had to overcome what the enemy was telling him in his mind and what tells so many of us in our minds. We make mistakes. And what we're afraid of is that somebody is going to find out about it. They probably know about it. You put it on Facebook so everybody knows about it. And then what are they going to say? What they're going to say, who cares? The point is to get, and I love here because he, it says that the Father showed compassion. So he said, and I, and I want to make, a, I wanna differ, uh, make a, a comparative here because compassion is not empathy. Co empathy is a psychological term that simply means that you say and you affirm someone's condition. I can see why you, you're that way. I can, I, can, I can sense by your demeanor and your body language that if this is a moment of anguish for you. That's empathy. The psychological term is not a biblical term. Not a biblical term. Biblical term is compassion. And compassion means that I take off my shoes and get into your shoes and feel what you feel, hurt what you hurt, carry the burden along with you, walk alongside you. That's compassion. Compassion is what Jesus did. Colossians relates to this very clearly when he says that he left all of the trappings of heaven and came down from this place of royalty to become a child. Uh, and God, and you've heard me teach this before, God limited himself from being eternal and cosmic. God limited himself and became human form for the sake of love. That's compassion. And church, we need to be, continue to be, because I think we are, but I want us to continue growing in this area, to be a church, not of sympathy. Oh, I really could feel for you. I really, it must be horrible. I can't even imagine what it is. No, no, to be a person of empathy. I mean, of compassion. That we, compassion, the, the prefix C-O-M, come, passion, means passion alongside. C-O-M? Come on, some of you studied English. I didn't, that's not my major. Spanish is my, my first language. But compassion means that alongside, passion along passion. So that means heart to heart. I'm going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you. I'm going to not judge you, but understand the journey that you've gone through and help you to be reestablished. And the church is very good, and oftentimes even in our family relationships, we're very good, but we don't, we don't choose to forget the past mistakes that people have made. God decides, not that God is forgetful, but God decides when he fell in love with you and when he wanted to rescue you, he decided to forget. Or, saying it another way, he decided not to remember your crazy decisions. It's not that God forgets, it's that he decided not to look at that. And a person of compassion, we see it in the Father, he did not see the mistakes that he made, the son made. He was glad he came back. And it says in the text that when the father saw him far away, look at the text, it says that he ran to him. He didn't wait for the son to come running to him. The father was not the one in need. It was the son who broke his heart. He was the one that was in need. But the father did not care. The father ran. It even goes further. It says that he threw himself on his son. 
Hallelujah. You know, and this is a great picture of God's love for you and for me. All right, you're not going to say too many amount. For me. For me. Every time when you mess up, every and, and when things happen and you get, whatever it is you go through, these moments in your journeys in your life, you come back, God, when he sees you at least getting up and trying, he runs to you. Oh, my goodness. Are you getting this today? Hallelujah. Note also in the text. Oh, I'm running out of time. But note in the text, he never stopped being the son. When he was with the pigs, he was still the son. When he asked him, give me my inheritance, he's still the son. When he, said, when he took the inheritance and went to another country to do his craziness so daddy couldn't see him, he was still the son. I'm here to tell you today that once you've walked with the Lord, once you've made a commitment to the Lord, whenever it was in your life, and whatever happened that caused you to deviate, you are still a son. You are still a daughter. God is still waiting for you. He's waiting with arms open. His heart is rendered toward you. He's waiting to celebrate your arrival. Don't disqualify yourself in front of him or in front of anyone. It says that the father ran to his son. And then the, he says, the son, now there was no speaking here, right? Because the father saw him, filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. This is in a public setting. And then verse 21 says, then the son, now the son sp uh, speaks. Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And although it does not say this, it implies this in verse 22. The father basically tells him, look, shut up. <laughs> Remember, he was talking, the, the son was talking in his mind. He says, that's in your head. That's not in my heart. So all the disqualification that goes on in your head, you own that. It's not in God's heart. You say you're not a son and daughter to God. You're still son and daughter. In fact, look, look at what he does. Look at, oh my goodness, I'm gonna, I, 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 can't, I have to end, I have to end. Look at what he does. He's crazy. He says, he says, Father, I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Your father says, please. And then the father looks to the servant and says, bring the best robe. Can I suggest something to you? The best robe was not the robe that the son usually wore. The best robe was the father's robe. Oh, ah. And it says quick. I mean, he didn't wait for the son to stop talking. Sometimes we talk too much. Stop talking. Stop talking. Look at the sermon. Go get the best robe. That was the father's robe. And put it on him. And put the ring on him. The ring was a signet ring that what it does, it implied or signified the, the, uh, 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 the crest of the family. You know, some people have crests. Uh, that, that have symbols and show the family heritage. That's what the ring, the ring was not a ring. Of, it was a signet ring. When there was anything that needed to be signed, documents authorizing who was the, 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 the owner, what they would do is they not only would sign, but then they would have a place where wax was placed, and then the signet ring was impressed to show that that was really their property. So the father is saying, get the best robe, my robe, put it on him. He says, get the ring, the ring, not a ring, Get the ring and put it on his finger and then get sandals because obviously his feet was all messed up and, and this is part of the tradition during that time. In other words, let's get him dressed up. See, he left. His father's presence as a non-appreciative, spoiled, privileged kid that was crazy and making crazy decisions. That's how he left. 
But when he realized the errors of his way, now he comes back not wanting to be son. But the father not only said, you've always been my son, but I'm going to elevate you now that you've come. You know what the proof of, in the pudding is of that? That the older son got really upset. The older son, and I'm not going to preach, I'll just mention it, we'll preach it some other time. The older son says, well, you know, I've been here all along and you never did that for me. But it's different. The mother says, this, this son was lost. Oh, you, you need to come back home. You need to come back home. There's a celebration going on because he says that not only the, uh, bring the robe and put the ring and the sandals on his feet, but the poor fatted calf. The father was, and the fatted calf was saved for big celebrations. The fatted calf was so healthy and hearty that it was not one dinner. I don't know if you, you understand times of antiquity, but when they had a wedding or celebrations and even funerals, this was not that something that was, you know, three hours in Ortiz and it's over. When they did these events, they took weeks. So the father is saying, we're going to have a party. And he says, why? Because this son that was dead has come alive. He's come back alive. And, and I want to tell you, there is a moment of celebration. And here, let me paint the picture of what I would love to see as we're, we're nudging through this pandemic and hopefully getting to the other side and, and, and now light at the end of the tunnel. I can't wait till every single service here, because it says that there was a celebration when he came back. I, and, and God celebrates. I can't wait. So every single service here, in-person service here that we have, we celebrate the arrival of someone that is lost and now has come back home. Amen. Hallelujah! But you've got to come back home. This son of mine was dead and is alive, and he, he, has, he, he was lost and found. So they began to celebrate. And part of his re, uh, return was this thing called restoration. And the church needs, needs to really be a place of restoration. Church, we need not be asking people, I haven't seen you in a long time, where you been? We need to stop, stop that and celebrate they're here. You're here. And then work at not, not dredging up, but rather lifting up people and reestablishing people. And you say, yeah, but you can't do that, whatever. Let the, let the Holy Spirit judge that. Last time we checked, I'm not the Holy Spirit, neither are you. Let's just love on people. And oh, But you don't know what they did. The father here in this story, that was not a marker for him. That was something the son needed to deal with, not the father. In this church, as we invite people that it's time to come home, as the Lord speaks, it's time to come home. Let us be a church that is that way. That when people get up and come in and walk into this place, that we don't become, we don't major in history. We major in possibilities. That we don't try to dredge up where they've been, what they've done. Or how many times, we think sometimes church is baseball. Yeah, but you've done that before. You know, you have three, three strikes, you're out. Three, where is that? Three strikes. If we go with three strikes, you're out. 
we'd be in trouble. Yes? Anybody has had more than three strikes out? We'd be in trouble. We have to be a church as we prepare. And I know this is a transitional sermon. It's time to come home. Those on the other side, I don't know where you've been and what you've done, what you've squandered. You kick yourself on the head even here for the foolishness of our decisions. The Father sees you in a distance and is running toward you to welcome you home. It's time. Let's bow our heads. Father, I come before you in this special moment where this passage speaks so clearly, Lord, of restoration, of acceptance, of forgiveness, of compassion, of love. I pray, Lord, for those listening to my voice right now that their life has wandered. And it's a bad decision. Whatever it was, a bad decision. And they have felt, Lord, that like they can't come back. They can't make their way back to the Father's house. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name that the Holy Spirit would quicken in their hearts right now. That it's okay. The barriers have been brought down. The judgment has been casted, cast out. Acceptance is in the house. I pray, Lord, that my brothers and sisters that at home or at work, wherever they find themselves, those here, that today may be the day that they turn around from the place of poor decisions and move forward to a place of incredible possibilities. Let this church be a receptive church. Let this ministry showcase your love, your forgiveness in everything that we do. That as we, Lord, have navigated this very difficult, difficult year, and we're seeing, Lord, the possibilities in the next months of things starting to turn around, people will start coming back. But let them realize, Lord, that they're coming back home. Home is a familiar place. Home is a place of encouragement and acceptance. Home is a place of love. Home is a place of possibilities and the launching pad for the future. Dissipate any concerns and let your people hear it's time to come home. Why don't we stand up throughout the sanctuary and if you're at home, do the same. And I want you to just lift up your hands as I pray this prayer. Father, we come to you as a church. We lift up our hands, hands of imperfection. We're not perfect. Hands of poor decisions, so many we regret. Hands, Lord, that took us down a path of, of destruction, but yet we were not destroyed. I pray, Father, that all of us, starting from the pulpit to everyone that serves in this house, that we might be, Lord, the church, a place that is home for so many. I pray that, God, that we might allow people to come in no matter how they look, no matter where they've been, and love them back not only to health, but also to become servants in your kingdom. I pray, Lord, a release of the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit over this house. 
He is the one that transforms. He is the one that affects change, affects transformation. Help us, Lord, to be vessels of honor, filled with the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and that we might be able to see, Lord, people rescued, homes turned around, people accepted. In Jesus' name I pray.